Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, May 12, 2019. The share ID numbers for Friday, May 10th, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,888. That's 12888. And the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,890. That's 12890. This morning, A Vision for You presents Step 10, God's Cold Shower. Step 10, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. With Step 10, the big book tells us sanity has returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor, for us, of course, in our trigger foods, If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. The process of looking at our character defects and our wrongs that we began in the fourth step continues with this step. It is a lifetime occupation of evaluation and correction. The big book states that we have entered the world of the spirit, Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This step tells us how to maintain and grow and improve the new state of serenity and freedom we have achieved. Working Step 10 means adopting a way of life that requires continuous commitment and effort. The difficulties and the rewards of these cold showers come from applying it to our lives day after day, month after month, year after year. It is an essential part of the program of recovery and of what the big book calls its design for living that keeps the promises coming true in our lives. Joining us today to speak about Step 10, God's Cold Shower, is Harlan G., a recovered compulsive overeater from Scottsdale, Arizona. Harlan is a loyal member of Overeaters Anonymous and a vision for you, carrying the message of recovery wherever and whenever he can. And with that, we are so very grateful. Welcome to the line, Harlan G. Thank you very much, Leah, and uh, I'm very honored to be here this morning. I am Harlan G., a recovered compulsive overeater from Scottsdale, Arizona. And the first thing I want to say this morning, especially to you, Leah, but to all the moms on the line, happy Mother's Day to all you moms. Uh, Unbelievable job of bringing life into this world, that's for sure, and passing on the most unconditional love imaginable. We are here today to talk about Step 10. But before we talk about Step 10, let's talk about something that is in Step number 1. Let's take a look at what we mean when we say we are a compulsive overeater, and then we're going to tie this into step 10, God's cold shower. We are told in the doctor's opinion, and we are taught by Dr. Silkworth on page, excuse me, on page XXVIII at the bottom, and I'm in the fourth edition now, And I'm going to read this paragraph, and then we're going to go back and talk about it for just a second. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive 
that while they admit it's injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Drinks which they see others taking with impunity. Impunity just means that they're not being punished for it. Impunity and punish have the same punis is the same root word. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again, and this is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, spiritual awakening, there is very little hope of his recovery. What are we being taught here that's so vital that this paragraph is the foundation stone, the cornerstone of everything that we're going to build upon? This paragraph is telling me something that's breakthrough information that food is never the problem. Food is the solution to the problem. So all my life I have thought, and all of my life, going back to the time that I was a toddler, I believed that food was the problem, and that if I didn't eat so much, and if I didn't weigh so much, everything would fall right into place and be perfect and wonderful and magical. Not true. Not true. You see, food being the solution to the problem, raises a question. If food is the solution to the problem, what is the problem? The problem is the fact that when I'm not eating, I'm restless, irritable, and discontented. You can throw in scared to death, angry as heck, jealous, regretful, remorseful, suicidal, lustful. You can throw in all those emotions, because when I'm not eating, when I'm not eating, these emotions burst to the surface inside me like a Roman candle, and the discomfort and the pain of not eating is too much for me to bear. And so in search of relief to that pain, I will eat the food because my brain will signal to the mental twist we have a problem down here, and the mental twist will say, eat a Kit Kat bar. And I eat the Kit Kat bar in search of relief from that intenable, searing pain. And for about nine seconds, I feel fantastic. For about nine seconds, the world is a very beautiful place. I want to buy the world a Coke and sing Kumbaya around the campfire. It is just beautiful, but about 10 seconds in, I feel the horror and the pall of remorse and the cloak of degradation is upon me, and I feel horrible about what I'm doing to myself. I admit that it's injurious, but I cannot after a time differentiate the truth from the false. In other words, if I can't differentiate the truth from the false, what does that mean specifically? It means I thought I could eat a Kit Kat bar safely this time, that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, 
it wouldn't hurt me this time, but there I am eating everything in sight. I'm eating most of Illinois and some of Wisconsin because I've tripwired the physical allergy. Now, if I can't eat because of the mental twist, excuse me, if I can't eat because of the physical allergy, that's better. If I can't eat because of the physical allergy and I can't keep from eating because of the twist of the mind, I am powerless over food and my life's unmanageable. So it begs the question, what's a fellow to do? Now the question is, what am I going to do? And the answer is, I'm going to find a power greater than myself which will solve my problem. I'm going to find a power greater than myself, meaning I'm going to have to work the rest of the steps. And in finding that power greater than myself, I can get that effect from the food, from, not from the food, but I can get it from the spiritual awakening that comes about as the result of the steps. Now, I have been a compulsive overeater from the day I was born. For as far back as I can possibly remember, three years old, four years old, I have vivid, vivid memories of people yelling and screaming at my mother and father about how sad I was getting and why are they feeding me so much food. And then when I got to be about six, five, six, seven years old, they started screaming directly at me. And as a little boy, I wanted to, I wanted to acquiesce to their demands. And they told me all kinds of things that they believed were helpful, like fat boys don't get girlfriends. I found that to be true. Fat boys don't get good jobs. I found that to be true. Fat boys don't get to play on the baseball team. You better get thin or you're not going to get a wife or you better get thin or you're not going to get a good job. And on and on and on and on and saying things to me that were very hurtful, like if you cared about your mother, you wouldn't eat so much. If you cared about your father, you wouldn't eat so much. If you had any self-respect, young man, you wouldn't eat so much. And I was six and seven years old, and they would point fingers in my chest and scream at me and yell at me and be very, very scary to me. And the only thing I knew to do was to do exactly the thing that they told me I better not do. But what they didn't understand was more than I wanted to breathe life itself, I wanted to be the person they wanted me to be. I wanted to be thin. I wanted to look good. When I was a little boy, there was a, 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 a brand of gym shoe called PF Flyers. And in the ads for PF Flyers, they'd say, run faster, jump higher, and hit more home runs. And I wanted to run faster, and I wanted to jump higher, and I wanted to hit more home runs. But I just couldn't get away from the Chunky Bars. I couldn't get away from the Almond Joy Bars. Because those candies, those foods were doing something for me that I didn't know how to live without. They were doing something for me that made them so alluring 
that I just couldn't resist the temptation to eat them yet again. And so as a child, I begged God for death because what I started to do was I started to internalize as a six- and seven-year-old little boy that I was bad, that there was something seriously wrong with me, and that I was doomed to a horrible, horrible life. And so I wanted to die desperately, and they promised me that I would. It just wasn't coming fast enough. I remember distinctly as a nine-year-old, I went to the doctor, and the doctor was screaming at my mother in Yiddish, and my mother was screaming back at him in Yiddish, and I was put on very heavy-duty amphetamines as a nine-year-old. And boy, oh boy, you didn't eat on those pills, that's for sure. You slept about mm, 15, 20 minutes a month. I can still feel the temples of my head pounding and pounding and pounding. And I still remember the feeling of coming down off those pills. It was like a roller coaster ride, or it was like somebody throwing me out of an airplane. And when I would crash to the ground, I would eat. But when I was on the pills, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't think. I couldn't hear, I couldn't listen, I couldn't live. Those pills were horrible. But I did lose a lot of weight. I was on diets as far back as 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. I did everything that I could to try to lose weight, thinking food and weight were the problem. And indeed, as we just talked about, they are not. But I didn't know that it was the buildup of human emotion. I didn't know what we know now. And so for a person like me who was young and didn't have this knowledge, what got embedded in my brain is that if I didn't eat so much, life would be just perfect. If I lost weight, life would be perfect. Now, let's stay with that for just a minute because many of us listening on this line, including me, have lost weight, a lot of it. Now, I've lost a little over 500 pounds since the very beginning. I came in at about 500 pounds, gained up weight up to 600 pounds, and passed 700 pounds. I had a size 80-inch pair of pants with slats of material in it that were put in there by my friend's father, the dry cleaner. I had seven extra-large shirts that didn't come close to buttoning. This disease savaged me. This disease emasculated me physically and emotionally. This disease ripped my life, ripped me, ripped through me and destroyed every dream I ever could have dreamed. I lost decades of my life to this illness. Decades of my life watching other people living and dating and starting careers and going in directions I could only dream of going. But I was stuck. Stuck? No, I was moving backwards. Let's be more accurate. I got into trouble with money. I got into trouble with life. I broke furniture. I broke water beds. I broke couches. I broke car interiors. I got stuck in cars. I split my pants. I broke lawn furniture. I have been the object of ridicule 
Children have laughed at me. Adults have laughed at me for being so fat. I was a walking sideshow. On more than one occasion, people would come up and slap my stomach and ask me when the baby hippo was due, and I didn't even know them, and I had to pretend that it didn't bother me. On several occasions, people came up to my table at restaurants and took food off my table, gave it to the busboy and said, he doesn't need this, he's too fat, and I didn't even know them. What was the point of life? What was the point of life? Because I couldn't get solace from the food anymore, and I certainly couldn't get solace from not eating the food anymore. I couldn't get drunk on the food, and I couldn't get sober. So in keeping with this fantasy that we have, that once we lost weight, everything would be okay, we're going to springboard now into step 10. We're going to springboard now into the necessity of this important life-giving step. Now, many of us come in, came in and we do step one and we say we're powerless over food. And with the help of a good sponsor, and I have an excellent sponsor, my sponsor, John Kay out in Los Angeles, a wonderful man, a wonderful, wonderful man who I love with every fiber of my being. He's just great and funny as anything and just entertaining and he's just awesome. And many of you have heard John on these lines on special editions and sharing many times throughout the years and hopefully we'll continue to do so. He's great. But we talk about this from time to time, this fantasy that we hold on to that if we just lost weight, if we just remained abstinent for a period of time, everything would fall into place. Now, I usually give the the Yiddish word of the day a little later in the presentation, and many of you keep track of the Yiddish words of the day, and I appreciate that. But for today, we're not going to use a Yiddish word of the day. We're going to give a Yiddish expression of the day. And the Yiddish expression that we're going to build on this morning is a zoigetis. What does a zoigetis mean? A zoigetis means it's always something. It's always something is what that means. A zoigetis, it's always something. Because no matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being. And I've done my first three steps. The first two steps are conclusions of the mind. The third step is a decision. The fourth step is an inventory, excuse me, of my grosser handicaps. Excuse me. Got the fakakta allergies going again this morning. Okay. The fourth step is this inventory of my grosser handicaps. I've given my fifth step to somebody, and I feel like, okay, isn't that enough now? And I start doing some other things here, but I'm not doing step 10 in some cases. And so I go out and I eat again. Why? Because the buildup of emotions is upon me. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the specific instructions of step 10. We're going to do three live demonstrations of step 10, illustrating how simple and how effective and how cathartic they are, and then we're going to talk about the 10-step promises. 
Let's start together. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to blow the doors off some of the common um, misconceptions about Step 10. And there are two major misconceptions of Step 10, and we're going to destroy them both. Now, remember before we start, in Step 10, we continue. In Step 11, we improve. In Step 12, we practice. We continue, improve, and practice. And one of the things that I get probably three times a week, 150 times a year, is I get a call from somebody who says to me, crying, that they're back in the food, they did the steps, they worked all the steps, they, they did great, and now they've been gone and they're back in the food. Well, if you had done 10, 11, and 12 every day, many times a day throughout your life, throughout your years, you wouldn't have been eating. That's where we fall down. Let's go to step 10. Let's go to page 84, and let's blow the doors off some of these misconceptions about step 10. It says here, this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue. Let's see how the three times he's going to use the word continue. We continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. What's the assumption here? The assumption here is that as human beings, we are going to make mistakes. As human beings, we are going to have situations that are going to antagonize us. People are not going to stick to my script. People are going to do things that are going to threaten my basic instincts of life. The three basic instincts of life are the social instinct, the security instinct, and the sex instinct. And anything, and this is covered in step four, but anything that threatens my basic instincts of life, security, social, or sex, is going to antagonize me. If I feel that you're going to take something away from me that I do not want to give up, or you're going to deny me my ambitions in these areas for the future, it is going to scare me and I'm going to develop a fear and a resentment. So no matter, again, no matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being. And as a human being, I am subject to these instincts. I am subject to selfishness and these other defects of character. We continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. Myth one that we're going to destroy here is that you start step 10 when you're done or midway done with nine, and that is absolutely false. This sentence blows that out of the water. It says, we vigorously commence this way of living. What way of living? Step 10, as we cleaned up the past. Now, essentially, we use 4 through 9 to clean up the past. But if you need step 10 while you're doing your four steps, absolutely go ahead and do a little mini inventory here. And we're going to see again, as I say, through three demonstrations, how simple and cathartic and how beautiful this process is because four through nine are the steps we use to clean up the past. So we don't wait till the night 
We don't wait till the morning, and we don't wait until we're done with nine or midway done with nine. Those are the common myths around 10 to start doing this. We vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. And what I do with people is when they get through their fourth step very quickly, I don't allow more than about two, two and a half hours for somebody to do their fourth step. It is not a very protracted situation when I'm the sponsor. We do it very quickly. We do it very efficiently. And we move on. The, where people get into trouble, and I know that the fourth step is really not the subject of this, of this special edition, but just as a commentary, most sponsors and most sponsees in OA today are taking way too much time with the fourth step, and that's why people are getting into trouble because they're running into these emotions and they don't have a way of dealing with these emotions. Okay, we have entered the world of the spirit. Now, it is assumed here that I've been working my steps. Notice that spirit also is in capital letters. When I talk about entering the world of the spirit for me, what I mean very specifically is this. I feel God with me. I feel him with me more and more as time goes on. And what happened to me is the same thing that I think happens to us all. As we start coming into OA, we get this, this mountain in front of us, this humongous mountain in front of us. And the mountain has a name, and the name is food and weight. And we cannot see past food and weight. And we come in here, and if we've had a day of abstinence or a week of abstinence or a month of abstinence, we feel very good that we're doing a good job. And that's true. We are. I'm not demeaning that. I'm not editorializing on that. I'm not saying anything about that that is in any way, shape, or form negative. Okay? That is very important, and that's why we're here. I get that. But what starts to happen when I enter the world of the spirit is that issues that I've had my entire life concentric with my eating disorder, not only do I start to recognize those issues, I start to actually see healing in these areas. Let me give you a couple of examples. I didn't realize how codependent I was in my relationships with anybody. I didn't realize that if you were a Democrat, I was a Democrat. If you were a Republican, I was a Republican. If you liked red, I liked red. If you liked blue, I liked blue. I wanted to be and do what you wanted me to be and do so you would like me and you wouldn't abandon me, particularly if you were an attractive female. But no matter whether you were an attractive female or not, I wanted you to like me. I wanted you to be my buddy. I wanted you to think I was nice. So I wanted to figure out what you wanted me to be and be that person. And today, I don't have to live like that. I'm not willing to deliberately antagonize you. I'm not willing to go out and deliberately you know, make you upset with me. No, I'm not going to do that. But what I am is... I'm a person who is who I am. Does that, that, if that doesn't make sense, if I like the Cubs, which I do, 
and I like the Bears, which I do, that means that if you like the Milwaukee Brewers, oh, oh, P-U, no, if you like the Milwaukee Brewers or you like the St. Louis Cardinals, no, sorry, if you like these teams, that's okay. That's okay. I'm going to be who I am. And I have the privilege today of saying yes when I mean yes and no when I mean no. That's, a, that's freedom. That's freedom. Now, I'm not always going to get my way, but I can always be who I am. And I realize now that I've had a lot of issues when it comes to intimacy. I have a lot of issues when it comes to dating and relationships. I have a lot of issues concerning the relationship that I had with my mom and my dad. My mom, is, my mom died in 1976. My dad died in 1978. So they never really got to meet the Harlan that's in recovery, and I've been making amends to them for many, many years, and the shape and size of my relationship with them has changed to grow deeper and richer over time. So that when I think of them today, I don't have negative connotations. I have positive connotations, not from a Pollyanna standpoint, but from the standpoint of looking at them in their lives and saying, you know, they did the best they could. And they love me very much. I have freedom in areas today. When I live in the world of the spirit, when I enter the world of the spirit that I didn't even imagine before, I didn't understand how scared I was, how selfish I was, how manipulative I was, how negative I was, and how unbelievably childish I was most of the time. And when I enter the world of the spirit through the work I've done in OA, which is a long time, I have over 20 years of abstinence, and I've been in these rooms 40 years. I came in February 2nd, uh, 1979 in Skokie, Illinois. If you can't tell, I'm born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. I consider myself an adult. What a beautiful thing to think of yourself. I consider myself an adult. Heck, it's about time. I'm 64. I'll be 65 in a couple of weeks. But I consider myself an adult. And I consider myself a friend to me. I like me today. I hated me my entire life. I knew that if I sucked up to you, maybe you could take care of me because I trusted you and I sure as heck didn't trust me. I like me today and I trust me today and I have a beautiful relationship with God and through my relationship with God, I have a very nice relationship with myself. It's nice to like yourself, but that takes a long time and it took a lot of work in the steps. It takes a lot of work, but I have credibility with myself today. When I say to myself, I'm not going to eat candy today, I don't eat candy today. Not because I decided so, but because God will help me if I take the action. 
God will make that possible, but now I don't have to lie to myself. This little sentence here, we have entered the world of the spirit, is one of the most beautiful concepts in OA, in this book, and there are so many of us that miss it. Now, before I leave this sentence, because this is one of my favorite sentences in the book, it's very important for me to point out another thing that I want to shatter this morning. Because when I came in here, somebody told me something that for me is not true. They said abstinence is the most important thing in your life without exception, and I found that to be false. Now, I know some of your sponsors tell you that that is, and I know some of you think that it is, and abstinence is vital to recovery. Now, some of you may say to me in the question and answer period, are you saying that we don't have to be abstinent? No. No, I'm not saying that. Abstinence has to be a given. There's no question that abstinence has to be a given. But the most important thing in my life today, without exception, is to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life through service and self-sacrifice for others. The thesis line of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous is, is, is on page 45. It's in the middle of the page, and it says, the main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Now, if the thesis line of the big book is so that I can find a, higher, a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem, it darn well better be the main purpose, the main object of my life as I live it. And in seeking and finding that higher power, abstinence becomes rather easy. But when I focus on abstinence being the goal, I get in trouble. When I focus on being abstinent while I'm seeking to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life through service and self-sacrifice for others, Abstinence comes along without much effort at all. And we're going to get into that as we do the 10-step promises. So this sentence of we have entered the world of the spirit, for me, becomes extremely important because there are issues that are concentric with my eating disorder that I never had the vantage point to address or look at before because I was so overwhelmed with trying to lose weight, with trying to fend off this desire to eat foods that were killing me, or in the case of an anorexic and bulimic, and we're going to hear from one this morning, in the case of an anorexic restrictor and bulimic, the high that they get from not eating or the bulimia, the behavior around that, becomes something that they get an effect from, so they don't have to look at these other issues either. See, it's going to work from both sides of the coin. And one of the people that we're going to hear from this morning is going to fit the description of that as well. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. Now, how do I grow in understanding and effectiveness? I grow in understanding and effectiveness through prayer, meditation, service, and self-sacrifice for others. Because you see, when you call me on a 10-step, when you reach out to me and we get to interact, 
I learn from you. I learn from every one of you that I see, that I meet when I do retreats, that I meet when I do conventions, or I meet here in Phoenix or as I'm traveling the country. I meet you guys. You teach me. You become my instructor. And the way that I grow in understanding and effectiveness never changes. It is through work and self-sacrifice for others. Now, we come from the Oxford group, don't we? And the Oxford groupers were people who were practicing first century Christianity to the best of their ability, and they found that through altruism, giving with no expectation of return, that they could infuse enthusiasm. There's a beautiful word that I love, enthusiasm. It comes from two Greek words, entheos, from God, to the point where all through our big book, it says things like helping others is the foundation stone of my recovery. It says things like my real purpose is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and the people about me. And Bill Wilson says in his story on page 15, he says that he found that when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. In step four, he instructs me that if I'm feeling shaky, maybe I'd better work with another alcoholic instead. He tells me I cannot play the Good Samaritan once in a while. I must play the Good Samaritan every day. And that every day is a day that I must bring God's vision into my world through service and self-sacrifice for others. And by practicing this every single day, continue and improve and practice. By doing that, I improve my understanding, not only of you, but of God and of myself. And I understand that I improve my effectiveness. Now, many of you hear me say this again and again and again. This is not a program for people who need it. It is not a program for people who want it. This is a program excuse me, for people who do it. And through action after action after action, the unbelievable rewards could not be contained in any building of which I am familiar. I am not the richest man on the block. I'm not the best guy at, at whatever on the block, but I have a life that's worth living today. Do I wish I had more money? Of course, who doesn't? Do I wish I had, I had a little different here, or a little different there? Of course, who doesn't? But I have a life that is so full of people who allow me to love them, and some of them love me back, and we share. We don't share from a, from a, a just a, a kind of a, a surface kind of situation. We share from the heart. We share from the gut. And that's the most beautiful thing in the world. Because you see, when God can't come, he sends people, people like you. He sends you into my life and me into yours so that we can share and we can be in a relationship that's real, whether that relationship is romantic or friends or acquaintances, whatever it is. We speak and understand 
the language of the heart. We're the only people that have experienced not only this illness, but a recovery therefrom. And we speak and understand the language of the heart. And the only thing God asks us to do is to pass it to the next person. That's all. Is that so hard? I don't think so. And so we can grow in understanding and effectiveness. Now, this is not an overnight matter. I didn't know that I was going to have to be patient in here. God, I didn't come here to learn patience. I didn't come here to serve you. I didn't come here to serve God. I came here to lose weight. Actually, what I came here for, don't tell anyone, is I came here to find out if I could eat Almond Joy bars, Oreos, and Kit Kats and still lose weight. That's what I came in here for. But this is not an overnight matter. It should continue, there's that word again, for our lifetime. And there's where so many of us fall down. How do I know that? I did it too. I told you I've got 40 years here and 20 years abstinent. You can do the math. It should continue for our lifetime. We never stop doing this work. I have rested on my laurels before. And when I rest on my laurels, they have a beautiful ceremony for me, and they say, welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order, please? I don't want that ceremony anymore. That ceremony disgusts me. That ceremony is not something I want to partake in ever again. So I'm going to continue this for my lifetime, hopefully. I'm going to continue it today. I can't speak for tomorrow. Now, here's that word again. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. What step did we use to deal with selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear? Step four. When these things crop up, not if, when these things crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. What steps did we use to ask God to remove our defects of character? Six and seven. So in these two sentences, we've worked steps four, six, and seven. We discuss them with someone immediately. Wait a minute here. We're going to blow a concept out of the water. Many people think that step 10 is something that you write on, and if you writing helps you write on it, that's fine. It's not wrong. But they think it's something you do in the morning and at night. No, you do it immediately. Now, I hear very good, and I know some of you are thinking, I know, but I work, and I'm this, and I'm a nurse, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a streetcar conductor, whatever it is, or a double-knot spy. We have common sense. You do this as soon as you possibly can. Now, it's easier to do this today than it's ever been. You know, when Bill Dotson wanted to do a 10-step, he had to walk over to Dr. Bob's house. And Dr. Bob and Ann Smith would see Henrietta and Bill Dotson coming down the street at Akron, and with their meager funds, they put out two more places for dinner for the Dotsons, knowing that they were going to invite them to stay and that a long discussion would ensue between the men and the women. You don't have to walk over to anybody's house. You have a phone. You have a cell phone in most cases. You also have a cathedral 
in all the buildings that you go into, some of the cathedrals are marked men and some of the cathedrals are marked women. You can go in there and make a quick phone call to somebody. We discussed them with someone immediately, step five, and make amends quickly, steps eight and nine, if we've harmed anyone. Let's take a look at where we're at here. This is, now remember, we've done four, six, seven, five, eight, nine. Then we resolutely, what does resolutely mean? It means with purpose, turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Step 12, love and tolerance of others is our code. Now, I'm going to throw a challenge out to all of you today. You do four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and twelve, four, five, six times a day and compulsively overeat. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. Hang on. I'll talk to allergies again. Sorry. You cannot do it. And so in this little paragraph, what we're doing here is we are taking these steps in quick form and the effect of lightening my burden from the emotional buildup of these disturbances is immediately reduced. And so why do we do the steps, particularly this one? Why are we doing this and why do we call this God's cold shower? I didn't, we didn't name it that for no reason. What it is, it is a quick, effective way of reducing the level of emotions. And when the level of emotions is reduced, listen to this part because it's important, the urge to compulsively overeat is simply not there. It's simply not there. That urge to eat, to destroy ourselves with food. We are biologically pre-programmed to eat ourselves to death. That's what we are. We're eating machines. Can't eat because of the allergy. Can't keep from eating because of the twist of the mind. This paragraph, this step is specifically designed, like all of them are, to reduce the level of these emotions so that the urge to eat is simply not there. Let's take a look at Roanne, if you'll punch in here. And Roanne and I are going to do a very quick demonstration of step Good morning, Harlan. Good morning, Ro. How's everybody in New York City this morning? Well, it's raining, but besides that, oh. we're all good. Okay, we're going to get a little rain here probably coming up in July or August, and that'll probably be the next time. Um, Roanne, uh, I understand you have a little bit of a disturbance, something's bothering you. Would you give me a headline, please, of what's bothering you? I am resentful at my client for her lack of communication. So your client is not communicating effectively according to your situation there. Okay, let's Correct. take a look at... The first defect of character is selfishness. She's not sticking to your script, right? Now Correct. we have some dishonesty. What's the nature of the dishonesty? I don't know what's going on in her life. I don't, don't know. know. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. 
We don't, don't know, know what's going on. Yeah, maybe it's just a fine-tuning kind of thing. We have some resentment and we have some fear. What's the fear here? The fear is that all this excitement I had about working <clears throat> with her will go out the window and we will not work together and we'll stop right. working together. And that will affect your, yeah, affect your security instinct. That will affect your money, your pocketbook. We don't want to lose Correct. out on that money. Okay. All right. Let's ask God to remove the defects. If you do it silently, let me know. If not, we can do it together verbally. I'll do it together. God, okay. God. please remove these defects of character so I can be of service to you and to my fellows. Uh-huh. I will not mind be done. Amen. Okay. We discuss them with someone immediately. You've done that. And make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. If you have any amends to make to this client, make them quickly. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. Roanne, I'm going to ask you to go make an outreach call to somebody. And in doing so, you're going to work step 12. And do not mention one thing about this disturbance to the person you reach out to, okay? Okay. Thank you, Rowan. Thank you, Rowan. Thank you. Rowan's action of getting rid of this, Rowan's action of recognizing that she doesn't know what's going on with this person, and her willingness to say, the reason I fear this is it's going to affect my money, it's going to affect my livelihood, and now her willingness to go reach out to somebody is going to reduce the level of these toxic emotions very quickly and the urge to eat will just not be there. She will feel better about herself, okay? Now I'm going to call upon Jen A., who's up in Colorado. And Jen, how are you this morning? Good morning, Harlan. Sun is shining. All is good here. Really? The sun is shining in Colorado? <laughs> the skies first, are blue. Is that the, is that the first time? No, I'm Harlan. Sorry. Okay. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Jen, I understand. I understand you've got a little bit of a disturbance going. Would you give me a headline, please? Absolutely. I'm super resentful at my coworker. She doesn't follow through with the clients. Um, she does. She makes me do her dirty work, Harlan. Um, she only mm. does what benefits her. She's not grateful for the work that I do for her that benefits her, and she doesn't okay. do it as fast and efficiently as I would like her to. Okay. So obviously, Jen, we have some selfishness going on here. This coworker is just not sticking to Jen's script. And what's the nope. nature of the dishonesty? Um, well, the dishonesty is that she never does anything. She never does it right. And that I'm always perfect. I always do it right. And I always do it on time. Right? Always? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I would think we have a little, we have a little <laughs> dishonesty going there. That's like right. the weather in Colorado being perfect. We have a little <laughs> dishonesty going here as well. Okay. But none of us are perfect. We have a resentment. What's the fear here regarding this coworker? Well, two things. The fear is that um, I'm going to have to do more work um, because I don't see that she's doing it my way. And um, that, you know, when she doesn't do the work, I look bad. Mm. So we have a little fear going there because it affects our livelihood. It affects our pocketbook. It's where we live. 
you know, where we make our living. And that's why mm-hmm. this is so serious. Okay, let's ask God to remove the defects of character in your way. Ask him. Yeah, God, I ask that you would um, take away my need to supervise and control others and give me the belief that they're on their own path just like I am and that they're on they're imperfect and a human being just like I am and help me be mm-hmm. of service um, to them um, in all their imperfections and may your will be done, not mine. Amen. Very good. Beautiful. Okay. We've already discussed it with somebody. Now we're going to make amends to that worker if you've harmed them in any way. We're going to clean that up. And now, Jen, I'm going to ask you to please resolutely turn your thoughts to someone you can help by making an outreach call and mentioning nothing about this coworker, love and tolerance of others is going to be our code. Okay? Mm-hmm. Thank All you right. so much. Thanks, Harlan. All right. This is going to be our third. Now, before we even go to Craig, who's going to be our third demonstration, we can see how quick this step really is. There's no reason to protract it out. Uh, this isn't the Yiddish word of the day, but it's ungeblizzled, overblown, overthought, overdone. We have such a tendency in OA to make everything into this ungeblizzled thing where it's just overdone, over, over. It doesn't have to be that way. It's a quick, simple process. And when we follow this 10-step process, and we do it according to the instructions here in the big book, the effect of lowering that level of emotions. Jen had a, a, a situation with a coworker. Rowan had a situation with a client. Let's see, let's call upon Craig, who's up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Craig, how are you this morning? I'm, I'm great, Harlan, how are you? I'm good. I, I thank you for your service by participating this morning. I really do appreciate it. Craig, I understand you have a little bit of a disturbance. Would you mind giving me a headline? Boy, I have a doozy for you. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been giving Harlan a hard time. I was going to give him one that he couldn't handle. Um, <laughs> no, I I went down to uh, went down to Starbucks to get a cup of coffee. And I wanted to turn in left, and uh, this guy wouldn't pull up and wouldn't hold back so I could get on across the traffic. And I think he just did it on purpose so that I okay. I would have to sit there in traffic. Okay. And, so this ornery motorist up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, would not let you turn in so you could get your coffee. So he wasn't sticking to your script now. We have some selfishness, right? Now, what's right. the dishonesty here? What's the dishonesty? What's the lie we're either telling ourselves or someone else or both? Well, the, the lie is that uh, that he's doing it to me on purpose, that he that he sees me sitting there and knows I need in and that, that he uh, that, you know, that he should uh, he should be aware of me and my needs. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what's going on in his life. We have no idea. We have some right. resentment because he was keeping you from what you want. What's the fear here? What's the fear in this situation? Well, the fear, of course, that not only would I not get my way and get on in there, that I'd be stuck <clears throat> for a while, but that mm-hmm. uh, I was hanging out in traffic and somebody had hit me. And mm-hmm. uh, so, so we wanted to avoid that. Sure. 
All right, let's ask God to remove the defects of character, Craig. All right, Heavenly Father, please uh, remove my defects of character, my my selfishness, my dishonesty, my resentments, and my fears, so that I might be of service to you and others today. Amen. Excellent. Amen. Now, you've already discussed it with me. Now, obviously, there's no way to make amends to this person. We don't know who they are or anything like that. Now, let's resolutely turn our thought. Oh, wait a minute. Let me back up here for a second. What is one of the ways we can make a living amends when it comes to traffic and these situations? Well, I can uh, allow other people to turn in and be be more aware of the, the people around me. Excellent, excellent. We can we can sort of adjust our behaviors to be the person that we would have wanted that person to be. Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks, Craig, for that one. Mm-hmm. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help love and tolerance of others is our code. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, Craig, is I'm going to ask you to make an outreach call to somebody who is suffering but mention nothing about the traffic situation, Okay. Okay, we'll do. Thank you so much, Craig, for participating this morning. Thank you to Rowan, Jen, and Craig for helping us in this demonstration this morning. Okay, now, if we can see how simple this process is, that it is not something that we have to wait till the night to do, that's step 11, that it's not something we do in the morning, that's step 11. We can do them at night and do them in the morning, but we can do them throughout the day as needed. And if you've ever gotten a prescription from the doctor, sometimes it'll say, take as needed. So if you need it, do it. When in doubt, do it. If you have the question in your mind, should I do a 10-step around this? The answer is yes. So this is a way to make it very simple as to how to decide when to do one. If you're perseverating, if you're constantly thinking about something three, four, five times, for God's sakes, yes, do the 10th step. You're not bothering anybody. You know what's funny? Here's, here's, what's, here's something that's funny. I get people call me, well, I was going to do a 10th step, but I didn't want to bother you. Isn't it funny how you never worried about the guy at Dunkin' Donuts or if he was on his break or not? You just wanted his donuts. Now we get into recovery, and all of a sudden we get such good manners. We're so considerate of others. Don't worry about it. Reach out and develop a God squad. One of the things that I tell people that I sponsor is develop a reliable God squad. And the God squad are people that you can do quick 10 steps with because you can't rely on one, two, three, four people. You need a wider circle of people that know how to do them. Here's what's not effective before we go into the 10 step promises. Here's what's not effective at all. Making an outreach call to somebody who's just going to have me say the serenity prayer or just have me say, whatever, or, oh, they're sick, and, or somebody that's going to co-sign my BS. My sponsor, as I told you, is John Kay. When I call him and I want to complain about someone, he never says to me, oh, yeah, they're crazy. He doesn't say that to me. He, he, believe me, he does not say that. So you develop a God squad. 
you develop people that know how to do these things. Okay, that's the nuts and bolts of this 10 step. It's simple, it's quick, and it's highly, highly effective. Effective at what? It is effective at driving down the toxicity, the level of these emotions, and in driving down the level of these emotions, the urge to eat is simply not there. So beautiful and so simple. Now let's go to the bottom of page 84, and we're going to talk about the 10-step promises. It's all part of this step. And this is a question that I get asked, and I know Leah gets asked this, and I know Melanie gets asked this, and hundreds of you get asked this question all the time, and it is something that comes up a lot. What is the difference between recovering and recovered? We're going to answer that question this morning. See, we give you everything. We give you 10 steps. We give you a little Yiddish. Now we're going to give you the definition of recovering and recovered. If these 10-step promises are true for you, you are recovered. If you're still working toward them, you are recovering. So it should be very, very simple. If you're working toward these promises, you're recovering. If you've got these promises through doing the work, you're recovered. Nothing more complicated than that. Let's go to the bottom of page 84. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone even alcohol. Am I still fighting the world? Am I still fighting this political party or that political party? Am I still fighting against this gender or that gender or that group or this group or this institution? Or Am I fighting these things anymore? Or am I in a place now that understands God's got it? <clears throat> He'll take care of it. For by this time, sanity will have returned. What step do we talk about sanity? Step two. And two and ten are very married steps. Two and ten are the most underutilized from my vantage point, And three and four are the most misunderstood. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. Why is that? because the level of emotions is not high enough to signal to the brain that we need food down here to lower the pain. And this comes from working the steps. It comes from working the steps. We react sanely and normally, top of 85, and we find that this has happened automatically well, not really. It happens when, you do, when we do the work. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. It comes when I do the work. It comes when I sponsor. It comes when I have a sponsor. It comes when I am continually doing what I need to do to recover. This is the most important thing in my life. Abstinence is a given, but the most important thing in my life without exception 
is to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. It has been my honor and privilege to be part of this program. It is the greatest part of my life. I have been so blessed. I have been so blessed. You know, <clears throat> I hadn't planned on talking about this this morning, but I'm going to because I feel I feel imbued with the spirit to say this. If I had a pill here, I like when my friend Larry calls it pixie dust. Um, if I had Larry's pixie dust here that I could spray on you or throw on you and give you instant recovery, I'd flush it down the toilet. And the reason that I would flush it down the toilet is I wouldn't want to cheat you out of the journey. Oh, the people that you're going to meet and the places that you're going to go. Oh, the adventures of your life by living out this wonderful, magnificent program of recovery. There's a woman who, name is Roseanne, and she passed away a number of years ago. She's the founder of OA, and my sponsor was very close with her, and so I got a chance to not only meet her, but to talk to her and spend some time with her. And what I, what I said to Roseanne <sighs> could really be said to so many of us. I said, Rosie, the sun will never set on what you did. There will be 10,000 generations from now times 10,000 generations from now that will benefit from what you've done. I would say this to Leah, I'd say it to Melanie, and I'd say it to John, and I'd say it to any of you, that that is true for all those people and you. You don't know what you're going to encounter when you begin to live this way. God will take you to places you can't even dream possible. Any idiot can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in a seed. I had a friend who's dead now. His name was Scott. Scott was a very, very good-looking guy. When, when he was around, the girls used to go bananas. They'd flip their hair and laugh at his dumb jokes and everything. And he got a part in a play on Broadway. And he went out to New York City to be in this play. And while there, he met a actress and they got married. And they moved out to Los Angeles, California. And they were trying as best they could to break into TV or movies or commercials or what have you. But his alcoholism and his drug addiction and later on his food addiction took that dream away from him. And he was a very good member of AA. And one Saturday night, he was answering the phone in Los Angeles at the local AA office. And a call came in. And the call came in from a motel in East Los Angeles. And for those who know or don't know, East Los Angeles is the low-rent district. 
And he and this other guy, because they always go in twos, they went out to this motel in East Los Angeles to talk to this fellow. And he was sitting on the bed, drinking and drunk. And they talked to him for about an hour. And they could see that he was falling asleep. And because it looked as if he didn't pose a threat to himself or anyone else, that they would just let him sleep and they covered him up with the blankets and they left. Five years later, five years later, Scott is speaking in San Diego, California at the Sheraton in Mission on the, on the Bay. He's speaking at the Sheraton at an Alcathon. And it was 11 to 11.50 a.m. that his speaking engagement took place. And then they broke for lunch. And at the end of his lead, at the end of his speech, a guy comes up to him and says, you're Scott R., aren't you? And he says, yes. And the guy throws a bear hug around him and says, you saved my life. And he's got tears in his eyes. And Scott says, I don't know you. Who are you? And the guy releases him from the bear hug and looks him in the eye and he says, do you remember five years ago when you came to my, because my friend called you, do you remember that motel that you came to to talk to my friend? And he says, yeah. And he says, my friend died three months after that. He says, but I was hiding under the bed. I heard every word you said, and I have not had a drink since. You don't know where God is going to take you. You don't know what God has in store for you. And through your work, you too can affect the unborn you too can bring light to the suffering, to the shivering people in this disease, in the freezing cold cave of compulsive overeating. You can be that light. They are coming in broken and they are coming in scared and they are coming in bewildered. And you can give something to these people that they couldn't get from the pay and way. They couldn't get from the therapist. I'm not knocking therapy. Please don't throw that at me. But when it comes to its effectiveness on addiction, we can agree that it's not there. I'm not knocking it. I understand it says in the big book, make use of what they offer. When I need my hips and my knee replaced, I didn't go to a meeting or John, I went to a surgeon. I get it. I totally do. Please don't throw that at me. But you can give them something in their brokenness that they cannot get anywhere else. You can light them up and give them hope that if you recovered, maybe they can too. Maybe, just maybe, that if they start taking action after action, which they don't even yet believe in, that they can get the results that you are getting. To the world, you're a person. To that person, you can be the world. You can light them up. And there's no greater feeling than watching that person take hold of recovery and then pass it 
to someone else. I've had a lot of joy in my life. I've had a lot of misery. I've had a lot of sorrows. No question about it. But I've had a lot of joy in my life. Nothing compares to that. Test God. See where you can find him lacking. You will not be able to find where he is lacking. Are you going to get exactly everything you want? No, you are not. You'll get something better. Test God. Do the work. Throw the gauntlet down on God. You will be amazed. Let's continue. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality. And that's where I am today when it comes to food. I am in a place of neutrality. Do I get hungry around mealtime? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do I prefer some foods over others? Yes. But I do not put garbage in my mouth that is going to trigger the physical allergy. I do not put garbage in my mouth that is going to harm me. I treat me with the same respect that I would treat you. Safe and protected. I know that God is here. You may hurt me. You may disappoint me. You may reject me. But God won't. God won't. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Do you want to keep in fit spiritual condition? You better work at it every single day, just like I have to too. I have to work at this every day. If you're training for something, You don't say to the person, hit the gym every two months. You hit the gym every day. You hit the pool every day. You you do what you need to do every day. And by keeping in fit spiritual condition and perfecting and enlarging my spiritual life through service and self-sacrifice for others, abstinence becomes pretty easy. Pretty easy. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. Here's a warning. And where you see people that have had, you know, good abstinence, what happens? They stop doing steps 10, 11, and 12. They stop doing the work that keeps us in fit spiritual condition. And that is why I love it when Tim G says, we come in by the hundreds and we leave by the 99s. That's so funny. But anyway, this is where a lot of us get off the ship. We stop doing the work and we're eating again and we become discouraged. And who wouldn't, right? We have to keep doing the work. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. Is alcohol the subtle foe? Not really. What's the subtle foe here, guys? The subtle foe is the buildup of these emotions. See, I can prove that food is not the problem. Very simply, let me just throw this out there for you. If food was the problem, diets would work, and they don't for us. If food was the problem, treatment centers would become permanent cures, and they're not. If food was the problem, then 
then a lot of these other situations, and I don't want to get into outside enterprises, I don't want to get into outside issues, they would work and they would permanently cure us and they don't. They don't. We are not cured of alcoholism. Very important sentence. We are not cured of alcoholism. So whether you're recovering or you're recovered or you're whatever you are, if you're ishkabibble or whatever you are, doesn't matter. We are not cured. Harlan, we seem to have lost you. Star one to unmute. Daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So I have to work this and do this every day. Every day, not someday. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. Not some, but all of our activities. No matter what I'm doing, I will say this prayer. And this is a prayer I say to myself 50, 60 times a day, minimum how can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. How can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. And when we work at it and we start developing that conscious contact, conscious companionship with God, these thoughts will go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line. All we wish, it is the proper use of the will much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him, in capitals, is God, who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, not suggestions, directions, we have begun to sense the flow of, capitalized, his spirit into us. That's God's spirit. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. We have the five senses, smell, touch, uh, sight, hearing, uh, what have you. We ha and then the sixth sense is that sense of God. But we must go further, and that means more action. This is not a program for people who need it. It's not a program for people who want it. It's a program for people who do it. And then in step 11, we're going to examine the difference between petitioning God for what we want and real prayer asking for direction of his will and meditation, which is listening. And I'm going to pass with that, Leah. Um, I, I hope that this was helpful. And what I'd like to do now is let's open it up for questions and answers. Thank you, Harlan, for this thorough, rich, and awesome <laughs> presentation this morning. So very much appreciated. Thank you to those who offered their demonstrations, Rowan, Jen, and Craig, of course. Thank you so much for your service. The share ID for today's presentation, 12,893. That's 12893. And Harlan's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so you'll need to stay tuned for that. Yes, we will transition to question answers. Please focus your questions on Step 10 and Step 10 only. You can pose a question by pressing star 1 to unmute. Offer your first name and first letter of your last name as well. 
Nancy P. Gina D. Polly B. T. Gina D. Polly. Lucy E. Lucy E. Rowena K. Rowena K. I have Nancy T, Gina D, Polly, Lucy E, Rowena K. Who did I miss? Jackie H. Becky H. No, Jackie H. Jackie, thank you for the correction. Okay, let's start with that group. Everybody mute, please, except for Nancy T. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, Harlan. Good morning, Nancy. Good to hear your voice. You too. Thank you for that share. So I kind of have a two-part question that has to do with the extremes because you know how we are as addicts. We live in the extremes. What about I'm driving to work and I get maybe a fleeting disturbance, some yahoo pulls out in front of me and I might even say some things that aren't ladylike at all. And But by the time I get to work, I, I'm not even thinking about that yahoo anymore. And then on the other end of the spectrum, the other end of the extreme, let's say I've had this huge blowout with, I'm not married, but say a spouse, and maybe my spouse called me a, a stupid cow or some other verbally abusive thing, and it and I'm raging, and I do a step 10, but it doesn't dissipate, and it tends to linger on longer. Um, and okay. if you could talk maybe about those two extremes with the step 10 process, okay. if that makes All sense. Right. Well, the first one, if you're not thinking about it anymore, obviously you don't have to take any action. If I'm not thinking about the fact that the Hindenburg uh, caught fire in the 1930s, then there's obviously no reason for me to do a step 10 about that. In the, in the uh, area of the spouse who called you a horrible name, uh, in the area of something that is very egregious, what I have to examine first and foremost is what is the payoff to a resentment? Why do I love a good resentment so much? Well, the reason that I love it so much is I don't have to take responsibility for my own life. And if I can look at you and I can think that if you hadn't treated me this way, I wouldn't be eating the way I'm eating, or if you hadn't treated me this way, then life would be so much better, that's the payoff to a resentment. So the first thing I have to ask myself is, what am I gaining here? What's in this for me? And that is, I don't have to look at me. Second thing is, do I want to let this go and live in freedom, or do I want to hold on to this and possibly order a pizza by the time 15 minutes has gone by? What is my real agenda here? What am I willing to do? I have to often leave retribution to God. And I know that these are difficult situations. I'm just as human and vulnerable as anybody else here, okay? I have feelings. I have needs. I have basic instincts. I have all these defects, of, excuse me, all these defects of character just like all of you do. But at some point, I have to say to myself, am I willing to hold on to this knowing that it's going to kill me? Am I willing to hold on to this? Because if I hold on to this, it is not a possibility that I'm going to be eating ice cream. It is a certainty. Because the buildup of human emotions is such that it will demand, it will demand a solution. And there are only two solutions 
in the world for my discomfort. One, eat the food. Two, work the steps. There's no third choice. And the consciousness of those two choices and only those two choices often catapults me to either hang on to the resentment in spite of everything I know or let it go in spite of everything I know because I have a choice. So I'm going to let it go, Nancy. I'm going to let it go because there's nothing in it for me. I am done drinking poison so that you'll drop dead. I'm not going to do that anymore. And I know that these are tough choices. But you don't understand. He shouldn't have called me those things. You're right. But who chose to marry him? Who chose him? Who made that decision to, to, to be in a relationship with such a person? These are some of the things I have to look at. Thanks. Thanks, Nancy T., for the question. Gina D., your turn. Star one to unmute. Uh, good morning. This is Gina D from New Jersey. Um, Harlan, thank you Hi, so Gina. much for your thank you so much for your talk this morning. I really appreciated how comprehensive it was, even just beyond the tenth step and how all these different aspects fit into it. Um, mm-hmm. My question kind of nicely follows on the coattails of the previous question. You talked a lot about codependency earlier. You you continually talk a lot about how this is a program of action. And I understand how the 10th step is to look at my character defects, such as dishonesty, selfish, self-seeking. But I'm wondering, like, particularly in the example that you used of Jen, um, at what point does reflection of my own behaviors come into play? Like, what if Jen is being codependent, doing her coworkers work, not holding her accountable? And maybe there are some behaviors at that level Jen needs to change. Is that a part of the 10th step? Does that kind of self-reflection fit in somewhere else? And if you could expand on that a little bit, I'd appreciate it. In the, in the example that Jen gave of doing the work of her coworkers, that codependency, that pattern will normally come more, become much more visible in step four. And in, a, in an effective step five, when Jen sits down and she has this resentment against this coworker or that coworker, or maybe she's uh, you know, doing other people's work in other areas of her life, it will become more apparent in step four than, in, or excuse me, in step five than anywhere else. And these patterns will emerge. And if she's doing her step five with someone who really recognizes these patterns and recognizes this situation, it will become more and more apparent. And we talked about some of these concentric (laughs) issues, okay? So let's take Jen and the codependency. Not only will she be more aware of it, but there's three A's of solving a problem, awareness, acceptance, and action. She will become aware of it. She will accept that this is who she is, and then she will begin to take action. And in taking that action, eventually what will happen is she will cease and desist doing the coworker's work, and she'll let the coworker stand on her own two feet, despite of any vulnerability that it may set up for her Because what will happen is, as time passes, she will realize God has got her back. And that if she loses this job, a better one will come along. If she has to do something else, God will provide that for her. But she will probably cease and desist doing the co-worker's work. This will become more apparent as Jen goes through four and then 
five for sure. And then as she looks at six, seven, she will see these defects of character and things will start to change. Things will start to change. I hope that answers thank it, Gina, but thank you for the question. It does. Thank you. Thank you. And Polly B, it's your turn. Star one to unmute. Thanks, Gina. Did you call Polly B? I did. Mm -hmm. You're up. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Leah. This is Polly B. Grateful to be recovering in North Carolina. Thank you, Harlan, for another great lesson in the 12 steps and how you um, incorporated pretty much everything into the 10th step. Uh, You spoke to this um, in answering one of the questions about leaving retribution to God. I have a question about sponsoring and receiving um, 10th steps. Uh, We know terrible things, unconscionable things happen to good and innocent people, children, and Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. What is your... um, what what is the most effective way you um, compassionately redirect uh, your sponsees and others who call you to um, God, someone who's stuck in their resentments and fear about these injustices and the freedom of forgiveness? Thank you. Holly, that's a very good question. I really appreciate you asking it because I get asked this all the time. There are horrible things that happen in this world. There are things that happen in this world that are so horrifically nightmarish that I, I cannot even begin to even begin to think that, that people are actually doing these things. But what I have to remember is I can either live in spite of this or die because of it. Now, in my own life, In my own life, my father was victimized because of his religious belief. His family was obliterated off the face of the earth. Every man, woman, and child in a family of 40 was murdered. And for what reason, for what reason, the only reason was because of their religion. And it's a horrible, horrible There are horrible wounds on mankind of man's inhumanity to man. But at some point, I have to say to myself, I am either going to live in spite of it or die because of it. What is my choice to be? At some point, I have to leave retribution to God. And I'll be damned if I am going to allow the people that murdered my family to kill me too. I'll be damned if I'm going to let the injustices of the world catapult me into the food. Because for most of us, it is more of an excuse to eat than a real reason. Because common sense tells me, let's just take a ridiculous example, okay? Let's just say, that there's a man in Mongolia who's killing puppies, okay? Let's, let's just take that as an example. There's a man in Mongolia, and he's killing puppies, okay? How is my eating ice cream going to fix that? How is my eating ice cream going to stop him from killing puppies? It's not going to. It's not going to. And so there comes a point in life 
where I am going to have to make a decision. Am I going to live in spite of this or die because of it? I am not going to let him kill me too. I'm not going to let him kill me too. And how do I do that? By surrendering to God and working the steps. I hope that answers it, and it's a question that I get all the time, all the time. So I'm really glad that you asked me that, Polly, because that is a question that I know darn well is on the mind of many, many, many who are listening to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Polly B. Lucy E., star one to unmute. It's your turn. Okay. Thank you so much for your service. I am like blown away this morning. Thank you, Harlan. Bless you. Uh, because I'm one that I do all these this step work, but I continue. I could have a year. I just had a year of abstinence, and here I am back wanting to be into the food. And, and you were saying a number of things that I, I took notes. I'll have to listen again. But you used a word. I don't know if it was a, a, a zoge, maybe it was, and something about it. it always is something else, like something Pops up. Yes, is a Yiddish expression, and what it means is it's always something. My mother and father used to say that to me and shake their heads all the time. They'd say, Azoigatis, my son, Azoigatis. That means there's always something with you, my son. But what it means is in English, I'll try to stay in English because my brain will go back to the other. Um, But Azoigatis. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be something that's disturbing. No matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being. And as a human being, there are going to be things in this world, people are going to hurt me. People are going to marginalize me or people are going to do things. Let me go back to the example that, um, that Craig gave. Craig gave an example. Craig is from Oklahoma. He gave an example of a guy who wouldn't let him in when he was trying to get to the coffee shop to get his coffee. And the guy wouldn't let him in. Now, that guy might have had a wife that was delivering a baby at the hospital that morning. That guy might have had a mother that, God forbid, has a fatal illness. We don't know what's going on with that man. We don't know what's going on with any of it. But yet we can internalize that as a slight to ourselves. He did that to me. And you know what he was not thinking about? Me. You know what most people think about me most of the time, Lucy? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Nothing. I'm I'm not even registering on most radars. But yet I can take something and internalize it and personalize it to the point where I can go off onto an emotional tangent and the next thing you know is I'm in the food. Mm -hmm. So what I have to do is stay right size. And when I say a zoigatus, what I mean is, and I don't know a better way to describe it, it's, it's always something. There's never going to be a day in my life where everybody's going to stick to my script. Here's an old AA expression. I lived in Eugene, Oregon for nine years. They don't have OA there. There's no such thing. You have to go to AA. And when I was there, 
somebody said something to me, I'll never forget it. He said to me, a good day is a day when everything goes my way and I don't drink. A great day is when nothing goes my way and I don't drink because I'm working the steps. I'm working the steps. I hope that answers it for you. Yes, and thank that's, you so much. Azoy Gate. And by the way, if you're keeping track at home, Azoy Gate, this was the Yiddish expression of the day. Okay, very good. Okay, thank you. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Lucy E. Rowena K., your turn. Star one to unmute. Hi, Holland. Hi, Holland. Hi, Rowena. Rowena K. from the um, I hope it's okay to ask this question. Um, are you able to say more about the process of how you started to like yourself and if that had something to do with step 10? Well, a lot of it has to do with step 10, but the process of liking myself is a protracted process that co- goes over many years. And how I liked myself was this. And again, we come in here and there's this mountain dropped on us and the mountain has a name and it's called food and weight. And what happens is as I started doing 10 steps and I started doing 11s and I started doing 12s and I started really being of service to other people. And as my 10 steps, not only doing them but taking them, I started to get in touch with my own humanity. You see, I believe because of my ego, and, and, and my friend Larry could talk more about this than me, I believe that because of my ego that many of these thoughts and fears and resentments and phobias and all these other various things were secret and unique unto me. See, I believe that. That's one of the jobs of the ego, make me different, make me right, make me feel good right now, right? Those are the three of the main jobs of the ego, right? Okay, now, as I started to do 10 steps and I started to take 10 steps from people, I started noticing from one end of the spectrum to the other, whether they were anorexics, bulimics, restrictors, or whether they were morbidly obese, that these human conditions were consistent with my own it started to make me feel more like a member of the human race than I had ever felt like before. As I started gaining credibility with myself, in other words, I'm going to do such and such, okay? And I did it. And I stopped lying to myself. And I, my self-talk, now this is funny, my self-talk today is kinder than it has ever been. Uh, I'm divorced nine years, which, I, you know, it was very traumatic for me. I got divorced in, in, in recovery. But my ex-wife said something to me one day. She said, Harlan, if you talk to your friends the way you talk to yourself, would you have any? No, I would not. And instead of this abusive self-talk, I started addressing myself in my mind in a kinder, more humane way. As I started working with other people, and I'm very honored and I'm very privileged, I've traveled this country doing big book retreats and big book conventions. I've been as far east as Jerusalem, Israel. I've been as far west as Anchorage, Alaska, uh, San Diego, Boca Raton, Boston. 
and most points in between. I start to see that some of the good that I'm doing is affecting people in a positive way and it makes me like me more. That for the only time in my life, I believe I have something to offer. I don't know how much longer I'll get to offer it. Nobody has a contract. I have no idea. But while I'm alive, because of the most horrific, nightmarish conditions you ever saw in your life at the hands of an illness I didn't understand and could not stop, I now have something to offer. That's a lot to know, and that's a lot to feel. And Rowena, it makes me like me. It makes me understand that I am a member of a human race, not better than, not worse than. I didn't know how to look at you. Rowena, if I met you, I would either, in my illness, not now, in my illness, I would either say, I'm better than you, or you're better than me. No, I can look at you in the eye. That's freedom. That's freedom. And that's where it comes from, is doing the work. That's where you fly. That's where you fly. Does that have something to do with, you know, whether I eat orange or whether I eat an apple? No, no. It comes from the work, the work, the work, the work. I hope that answers it, Rowena. And it takes a long time, but it's well worth the journey. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That really, really helps. Thanks, Rowena. Thank you, Rowena K. Jackie H., your turn for a question. Star one to unmute. Good. Good morning. Thank you, Leah. And thank you, Harlan, so much for your service. Oh thank man, you. I you were you were one of the first ones one of the first podcasts that I listened to and my goodness did you get my attention and have kept it actually. So anyway, my 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 question as I was listening to you doing your examples with the tenth steps, there was this part mm-hmm. of me that said, oh my gosh, that is beautiful. That is so non, no nonsense and so simple. And then the other mm-hmm. complicated part of me says, oh, but you got to get down to deeper here. This, I, we, you, that's just my, probably my, my, my mind. And mm-hmm. so my question is, okay, I like that. And I think I was under the impression that a tenth step encompassed all the way beginning at maybe one even, but the fourth step before you even talked about it and then get down deeper. And then you mentioned earlier, no, this is done in a fourth and a fifth step. So I hope this is coming out right, but explain, I mean, when you're, when you're either doing a tenth step or receiving a tenth step and you see that there's something deeper, do you just recommend to that person or your own self that you go back, go back and do a thorough fourth step on this one? Could you talk to that a little sometimes, bit? Sometimes if I see that there, you know, if you're calling me with the same 10 step, you know, 93,000 days in a row, obviously right. at some point I'm going to say to you, you know, let's really look at this. And, and this may be something you want to do with your sponsor, but this may be something okay. you have to do a fourth step on. But let's not try to overcomplicate things. Let's not try right. to overblow things. And if we can avoid that catastrophizing, if we can avoid that, then I think in many cases we're going to be much better off. Yes, there are times when 
it is advantageous to go back and do another fourth step. Nobody's questioning that. But let's not okay. confuse that with the quick process of step 10, with that quick, beautiful process of dwindling down the level of those emotions so that they don't build to the level where they become dangerous as they signal to the brain there's a problem and the brain says, eat an Oreo cookie. Okay. So and it gets you out of the story. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Thank it you. Thank you, dear one. It's quick and it works. No problem. Okay. Jackie. Thank you for your question. Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Have Jackie. a good day. You too. Thanks, Jackie H. All right. Who else has a question related to Step 10? This will be our final invitation for questions this morning. Star 1 to unmute. Lisa B. Deborah. Lisa B. Debbie E. Debbie E. Deborah L. Deborah L. Star one to unmute. Questions related to step ten. Great opportunity. Kathy W. Jody EQ. Kathy W. Jody. Cindy D. Cindy D. Anyone else? Irene B. Irene B. Terry M. Terry M. Excellent. Okay, please, everyone mute except for Lisa B. Hi, um, I have a question, Harlan. Thank you so much for your um, your share. It was amazing. My heart's pounding. I'm so nervous. Um, Thank you. Okay. Don't be nervous, Lisa. I'm nervous too. Don't worry about it. Thank you. Thank you. You're a mensch, by the way. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, my question for you is: you mentioned um, the difference between recovering and recovered, and mm-hmm. also talking about the ten-step promises. Have if you've you've met, you can say yes to these ten-step promises, and you recovered. That's my son in the background, mm-hmm. so the noise is me. Um, okay. The, the other thing is, um, so, but I'm confused a little bit about the difference between recovered and it being a daily reprieve. So, if these things do come up. Um, so you are. So I am fighting something or someone, uh, but I do a ten-step. How can can you explain the difference between I am still recovered or I am recovering or I'm working my ten-step? I'm not sure if I'm being clear, but I'm just I just if that makes any sense. Um, explaining the recovered and also when these things come up, so how they can kind of coincide. If that makes sense. If yes, that makes perfect sense. Lisa. Thank you. If you have these promises that have come true in your life, you are recovered. If you haven't, you're recovering. But nothing, nothing, nothing supersedes the fact that you have a daily reprieve contingent on your spiritual condition. Nothing. I could do 110 steps and 111th and 112 steps, and I could have 3,000 years worth of abstinence. And if I don't practice these principles in all my affairs, I will eat again. Richard Peabody wrote a book in 1931 called The Common Sense of Drinking. Bill Wilson used it to write Chapter 3 of the big book of AA. That's why it's not an outside issue. And in that book, he wrote that this is permanent, progressive, and fatal. We must do the work every single day. If these labels of recovering and recovered and all these things are a problem for you, ignore them. Ignore them. And just remember this. My recovery is contingent on my, it's a daily reprieve contingent on my spiritual condition. Don't worry about the labels. 
don't worry about it. If it's confusing, ignore them. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate important. that. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Thank you, Lisa B. Debbie E. Star one to unmute Debbie E. <clears throat> Hi, it's Debbie E. from Jerusalem. Hi, Debbie. Hi. I guess I'm one of the seeds in the apple because um, you spoke when you were here in Jerusalem, and it was you touch people's lives, and you have a lot of reason to love yourself because you're just mm-hmm. very real, and you speak real emotions. And it gets right to people's hearts. So I want to thank you very much. And you, um, you're welcome. So I, I want to relate to the sentence that you said that was very powerful to me. And it was, I'm finished drinking this poison or eating this poison so that someone else will suffer. Mm-hmm. And when I make a 10-step, it's every time it more revealing and more revealing. But this is something that is so amazing because... Nothing is logical in my emotion when I do this, but it really means I'm blaming somebody else because it's easier for me to do that than to take responsibility for myself. So let's say I know that, but I don't know how to implement it. I don't know how to, at least I'm aiming towards it. So is the Mm -hmm. only answer just to say, God or my my higher power, please help me get there? Or if you could elaborate on that, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Sometimes we have to remember that the steps will lower the level of these emotions, but the steps also make these things very, very apparent. So when we're, right. when we're asking ourselves, how do I let go of this? The first question I need to ask myself is also, why do I need to let go of this? Because resentment is fatal. Uh-huh. Resentment is the number one offender. We found that it is fatal. It kills more alcoholics than anything else. That's chapter five. Am I willing to die on this hill because of injustice? Let's go back to the guy killing puppies in Mongolia. Let's forget about all the, you know, all the other stuff. There's a guy killing puppies in Mongolia. If I resent him, I'm going to die in the food. Is this the hill I want to die on? Is this where it ends for me? The guy's killing puppies in Mongolia. I wish he would stop. Now I'm going to do my steps, and I'm going to let this go. I'm going to inventory it. I'm going to tell it to another person. I'm going to look at the defects of character. I'm going to make amends if I have to here. I'm going to make amends if I owe one. Now I'm going to go help other people. I know. He's going to kill me. Go on. I know, first of all, it's not against the guy in Mongolia or something far away. It's generally I'm blaming someone very close to me. And in my mind, I'm saying, when I'll eat and I will do this to myself, he will suffer or she will suffer, which is ridiculous because he doesn't even know about it or care about it, and it's not even affecting him. But not making his blood pressure go up. It makes me crazy. I'm going crazy and eating myself 
to death when I was in that or when I feel it coming, which I now, thank God, am able to stop that eating. But I'm still working on that, not allowing my emotions to get so built up that my heart races and I get so upset and I have to make a 10 step. You understand? It's not, it, you it's will person- not be able to. You will not be able to control your emotions any more than you can control the weather. I hear. You have the same relationship with your emotions that you have over chocolate pudding. None. (laughs) You have no dominion. You are powerless. And when I sponsor people and they are struggling with step one, I say to them, we admitted we were powerless over our human emotions and our food has become Uh unmanageable. Uh Uh-huh. You will not be able to use your willpower to control emotions any more than you could food. Mm-hmm. You must seek the higher power through the steps. And in the working of the steps, the level of these emotions will dwindle as a result of the work. Okay. Stop trying to manage your emotions. Right. Thank right? you very much. Good to hear your voice again, Debbie. Good to hear your voice again. All right. Bye-bye. And we have Deborah L. now with a question. Hi, this is Deborah L. Hi, Hi, Deborah L. Thank you so much. How are you? You're welcome so much. Good to hear your voice. You too. Um, You mentioned something in your talk about um, doing step tens when you're doing step four, like a mini Mm -hmm. step 10 Mm -hmm. when things are building up. And Mm -hmm. that can be a little controversial, as you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some people, when I've called them in the past, they, you know, if they know I'm on step four, you know, they'll tell me you can't do a step 10. You you don't know how to look for your character defects at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. I know you have to start doing step 10s right away as you're cleaning up the past of step 9. So mm-hmm. what do I do, what does a person do when they're working their step 4, mm-hmm. for example, and they're terrified of getting fired or their boss is making them okay. very, very angry? Because I don't, I don't think it's a good idea to call somebody and say, I want to do a step 10. Because well, like I said, me, I, I mean, to, I've been yelled at by people. It's a, well, I, I would never <laughs> yell at you. But I know. <laughs> um, the bottom line is there's, there's a two-prong approach here. And the first prong is to do your step four quicker, faster. What happens in step four too much of the time is that it becomes overblown. It becomes overblown. Uh, Okay, I did one of these special editions a while back, and a woman called me from Atlanta, Georgia, that had been working on her fourth step for one year. That's, that's so absurd that it's defiant of any, of any reason. So the first thing I would say is, number one, get the fourth step done much, much quicker. But the second thing is, if you're having an emotional upheaval, while you're doing your tenth, while you're doing your fourth step, you have one of two choices. You're either going to eat the food or you're going to do a step. 
I would okay. suggest doing the step over eating the food every single time. So if somebody yells at you or they don't yell at you, you can point to this paragraph where it says, we vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. And we're cleaning up the past in four through nine. And as we start having these emotions, I might have to do a little bit of a, a 10-step situation there so that I can get right size again. For me, it works, and it works perfectly. For some people, it may not. I couldn't tell you. But that's my answer. Number one, step four, quick, quick, on delay. Number two, if you're having the buildup of emotions, you can either medicate with Almond Joy or you can do a step. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Deborah. And we want to see you here in Scottsdale very soon again. Okay. Thanks, Deborah L. Kathy W., star one to unmute. Hi, this is Kathy from Denver. Hi, Kathy. Um, hi, Harlan. Thank you for the talk. It's, it's good. Super educational. I appreciate it. Um, I feel like my question's already been answered, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, what would you tell okay. uh, someone that's struggling with the willingness just to, like, do the damn program, do the steps, like, everything, like, just willingness? Okay. Well, <laughs> willingness, in my opinion, is the most overrated phenomenon in this program. If I had to wait for willingness, I'd be in Walheim Cemetery outside Chicago in a piano box right next to my mother. I would be dead as a doornail. Willingness is highly overrated. And Kathy, if there's anything I would say to you, it's that I did not have willingness when I came in here. What happened to me is not different than what happened to a lot of people. I came in and I left, and I came in, and I left, and I came in, and I stayed, and I began taking action after action after action that I wasn't even certain would work in my life, but I began taking that action because I saw that it was working in other people, and I figured, what the heck do I have to lose? I can always go back to the food. I can always go back to the junk and the garbage. Why not give this a try? So if somebody out there is struggling with willingness, this is the only piece of information I would give you. Do the work. If you really, really are unhappy, we will refund your misery. We will refund your nightmare of a life. Because you didn't come in here on a roll. You didn't come in here because things were going well for you. You came in here because life was spinning out of control and you, you were adjusting your goals to meet your declining behaviors. And if you really don't want what we have, we'll refund your misery for you. Give it a shot. What do you got to lose? And that's my only answer, Kathy. Love it. I knew Harlan uh, would tell how it is. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you, Thank Kathy you. W. Jody E. Q., your turn. Thank you, Leah, and thank you, Harlan, as always. 
You're so inspiring. Thank you. Um, my question has to do with the definition of recovered that you gave, the 10-step promises, which I, that's a great definition. Um, I appreciate it. And the first sentence says, we have stopped fighting anything or anyone. And that, too, when you just said that, it brought such a relief to me. <laughs> yes, we have stopped fighting anything or anyone. And yet, there's this little question that comes up in my mind. Does that mean that I don't do anything to work towards justice in whatever area it is that, that I the am? The two phenomena are mutually exclusive. We, many of us, are embroiled in things we believe in. Some of us work toward raising funds for cancer. Some of us are Democrats. Some of us are Republicans. Some of us, whatever it is we are. Nobody is saying don't work for justice. But what happens is there is a vast difference between a person who ties their sanity into what their brand of justice is and an acceptance of life as it is today as it is. Without our, without our egos. So, yes, we have causes. I don't want to see anybody killing puppies in Mongolia, okay? So I'm going to work toward getting laws changed. And, and of course, Jody, I'm using a ridiculous example here. I understand your question. I'm just using this example so as not to step on anyone's toes or not to endorse any outside issues. I'm going to work toward changing Mongolian law to make it illegal to kill puppies. But while that process is changing or while that process is bogging down or, or gaining speed, I am still going to continue to work my program. There are things in this world that are very disturbing to all of us, most of us, some of us. Am I going to die because of them or live in spite of them? Is this the hill I'm willing to die on? Is this the hill I'm going to give my life on? I don't like this particular political candidate or that political candidate or this law or that institution. Am I willing to die for it? And if I die, how does that benefit anybody? It doesn't. Is me eating going to change Hitler? If I eat ice cream today, does that, does that, what does that do to Hitler? Nothing. Nothing. Doesn't do anything. If I eat today, the guy that's killing puppies in Mongolia, is that going to stop him? Probably not. So I have to choose my battles. And if I want to work toward changing the laws in Mongolia so that you can't kill puppies anymore, that's fine. Nobody's saying no. But if I'm going to eat chocolate ice cream because there's a guy in Mongolia killing puppies, that's another matter. That's another matter. I hope that makes sense because that's my answer. Thank you, Harlan. You're welcome, Jody. Good to hear your voice. 
Thank you, Jody EQ. Cindy D, your turn. Thanks, Leah. Good morning, Harlan. Good to hear you. Good morning, Cindy. Huh. Good to hear your voice, too. Harlan, um, my question is, um, if you're working with someone and on 10 steps or even on the fourth step and they just really want to tell the story and no matter how often you ask for a headline, um, they keep wanting to get deeper into the story, wh what tools mm -hmm. do you use? What do you say to move I them I open along? my mouth and say, stop. I open my mouth okay. and say, stop. Don't give me the whole novel. Don't give me the whole Megillah. Just give me the headline. I don't need okay. to hear the whole story. I don't need it. It's not, it's right. not, it doesn't serve any purpose. And the other thing you have to remember is, too, by allowing them to continue on with the whole story and how, the, how this person treated them and this person, they came to this country in 1621, it was on a ship and this, and it was cold and it's that all that does is it reasserts the resentment in their mind. So you're not doing them any favors by allowing them to continue, and you're not doing yourself any favors. I don't mm -hmm. need to hear the whole Megillah. The Megillah is the whole story. I don't need to hear that. Give me the headline. I use my mouth and say, stop. And that's what I do. Great. Great. It's, Thank it's, you, Harlan. Yeah. You're welcome, Cindy. Thanks for the question. I'm sure that there's a lot of people that have that question, too. So I appreciate you asking that. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Irene B., star one to mute, please. Good morning, and thank you so much for your service and this wonderful talk. I've been in and out of the call because I'm trying to get ready for something, and so... If that question has been answered before or asked before, I apologize in advance. I have okay. um, a few questions. Um, the timing of doing the 10th step, I'm on step 7 right now, so I haven't gotten mm -hmm. to step 10. And I, I just have this idea that I cannot do a step 10, and I can't wait to, step, to get to step 10. So You I are can... on step 10 right now. You are on step 10 right now. Step seven should take about 30 seconds, maybe 20, and you should be on eight and nine. And as you do this, you're cleaning up the past. You should absolutely be introduced to 10 and 11 and 12. Wonderful. But you absolutely like should be doing step 10s. You do not have to wait any longer to do them. You're on step seven, which should take 30 seconds. I'm so excited. I have permission to start doing step 10 because I need to I give you full permission, up. and if anybody questions your credentials, I will, uh, you have them call me, and I will issue you a printed <laughs> credential that you can do step 10. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Okay, I have, no problem. Um, I have another question. Um, I say that I am a recovering bulimic because... Um, Oh, God, because I have deep self-hatred and self-loathing. Mm -hmm. And until I remove the self-hatred and the self-loathing, um, I will call myself recovering. Um, okay. Because that's the source of my pain. That's what keeps me eating. And as long as that is not cured, I'm not recovered because I'm still in the grips of self-hate and self-loathing. I just happen to be abstinent from the binging and purging. So, um, 
I just I don't know why I feel like I need to say that. I I just I just recently okay. realized that it's okay. I have the way that self loathing the way that self loathing will will abate, the way that it will um change is to work and self sacrifice for others. So what I would ask you is get done quickly start doing step 12, start helping others. Dr. Bob, at the end of his life, gave us an inheritance. He bequeathed us with this in Cleveland in 1950. He said, what this, let's not louse this up with complexities that are only of interest to the psychologist, the clinician. Let's keep it simple. And at the very last, this is about love and service. Love others, serve others, and you will learn to love yourself. Love you know, others, tolerate others, and you will change your perspective of how you feel about yourself. I promise you. Okay. Um, um, I seem to have, and perhaps I'm wrong, but... Uh, you know, everything that I thought I knew seems to be wrong. But it seems like it's really easy to love others, to give others a break, to treat others with love and compassion and give them grace, but none of that for me. So that's You just keep doing really, it and really stop hard. thinking. Stop thinking and just keep serving others in a healthy way. There's, there's a sick way to help others and there's a, a, a healthy way. Helping them or serving them, rather, with no expectation of return. That's all truism. This is, this is a discussion really not for a question and answer. This is more a, a, a discussion for a, you and a sponsor that you need to go through. You may, need, you may need to look at some outside situations, some gestalt situations or some, you know, some other situations that you may want to purge that through. But uh, this is really not a question. It's really more of a, of a sponsor conversation. But here's what I will tell you, Irene, and then, and then, and then and that will be my answer. You just keep working your steps. Stop thinking and start working your steps. Be of maximum service to God and the people about you, and you will come to understand that God did not create garbage within you. You will start to gain self-esteem, and that's my answer. But I appreciate your question. Thank you so much. Uh, You're very welcome. And I have one more question about the spiritual condition. This says that your recovery is dependent upon your spiritual condition. It's like we mm -hmm. all assume that we know what that means, you okay. know, and I wonder about, you know, what is your spiritual, you know, every morning I say good morning to God. I reach out to God more often than I used to because I used to forget about him all the time. But I, I just wonder, it's like, how do I know that I have a good spiritual condition? You know you have a good spiritual condition when you feel good about the work you've done for God and those about you. On page 77, it says, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. When you feel during the day that you have served other people in a healthy way, not a sick way, and you are abstinent, and you are praying, and you are meditating, and you're going to meetings, and you're being of service, it will just come. It will just be there. Trust me on that one. Beautiful. Thank you so very much. And again, you're very welcome, you Irene. Thank you. Very welcome. Service.
No, you thank you for your questions. Carrie M. Thanks, Irene. Terry M. Your turn. Star one to unmute. This is Terry. Terry mm-hmm. M. Um, it's more of a comment. So if, if if that's not okay, then it's not really a question. Is that okay? That's okay. That's fine. Thank you. Okay, I've heard in other twelve step meetings that um, there, it's in one of the books that I cannot have boundaries and take care of your feelings at the same time. So that really hit me like a ton of bricks because I didn't realize all my life. I would have boundaries, and then if the person didn't like them, then I would let the boundaries go out the window, and then I would have resentment. So um, when they were talking about codependency, I really thought about that. It's kind of the same thing, you know, letting people. Mm -hmm. I I guess I've heard in these rooms, the silver rule, do not do for others what they can do for themselves. Mm. I like that one. Yes, I've heard that So uh, that really helped me. And the other thing um, that – the emotion when people were talking about that the sponsors weren't letting them do um, a 10th step when they were on their fourth step. I've heard the recovering alcoholics say that when uh, they, they, that they do the current resentments first when they're doing a fourth step or even it's like a 10 step. So because the things that are eating, eating me alive today are uh, need to come out first. So mm-hmm. I, I got, got into strong feelings about that and I'm glad you told that person they could do you know, step 10 now. So it's the same thing. We've got to get rid of the current. um, And thank God for the recovering alcoholics that told me about that. Mm -hmm. And um, the the last thing I was going to say is lately I've been doing a lot, thinking a lot when my emotions are strong or I I don't like the word hysterical, but what I learned from the recovering alcoholics is if I'm hysterical, it's historical. Mm -hmm. And then when I trace, trace it back to the history, then I have that freedom of knowing that that that's what happened because it's like it's like you said, Harlan. Um, those emotions, boy, when I'm in that his, his, hysterical, historical, those, those emotions don't give me a time for the spiritual pause, and I'm right there in the the history. So, anyway, that's helping me to think back to the history. And I wanted to thank, thank you, me. Harlan, for your for your rigorous for your rigorous honesty and uh, sense of humor. And Yiddish expression. Thank you. <laughs> there will be a test on some of these Yiddish expressions and words at some other point. Yes, write them down and you. keep them. Okay, Thank thanks, Terry. Thank you, Terry M. Okay, I believe our last question for the morning is coming from Barbara E. Barbara E. Star one to unmute. Thank you so much for sitting me in. Can I be heard right now? I hear you mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Okay. Harlan, wonderful presentation as usual. You are inspirational. My sponsor, who I love and revere, and I heard first at a under supervision, under spiritual supervision presentation that is presented many times in my area of the Northeast, said, Mm -hmm. if you, Barbara, are truly connected to your higher power, you do not need to do a 10th step with another. You do it Mm -hmm. between yourself and God. I Mm -hmm. found personally for me, I was easier on myself when I was Mm -hmm. doing it between myself and God. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing as much soul surgery. Um, Mm -hmm. In the past year, I started to feel that it's not quite enough. But she also said to me, don't get hung up 
on parroting all the prayers. Simply mm-hmm. says what comes into your heart, like mm-hmm. thy will be done, or simply thank you for alighting my path, and how mm-hmm. can I best serve thee? She was mm-hmm. a wonderful sponsor, but my mm-hmm. question to you is, is it possible in your estimation that one can do it solely between yourself and your higher power? Because, no. Okay. No, a solitary self-appraisal proved insufficient, number one. Number two, let's take a look on page 84. What does it say here? It says, we discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we've harmed anybody. It doesn't say you internalize things. It says, we discuss them with someone immediately. Now, I'm very old-fashioned because I need a very orthodox approach to this program. And an orthodox approach means what I do is I follow, I want to say the din, but you know, I want to, I'm going to follow the letter of the law. I want to follow the law specifically. And the law to me is in the words in the book. So anybody who tells me things that are not reconcilable in the big book, I ignore that instruction. It's very clear. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help, love and tolerance of others. So I'm not only going to talk to someone, I'm going to also make an outreach call. So it's going to be a several call, several contact process. How can I do that internally? I can't. And the big book is very clear in chapter 6 into action. It says a solitary self-appraisal proved insufficient. What more evidence do I need that that method of doing it is not effective? I don't need, I don't need the John Hancock building to fall on me. The <laughs> method of doing it internally is not going to work. Thank you, Harlan. It answers it. It answers it, but I feel because it's all about me and it's not good, I feel that I'll do it wrong when I do another. So I hear other The only way to do it wrong is not to do it. Ah, that's just what I wanted to hear. If you follow these instructions, it is so simple. I guarantee you, based on what I know about you, you have a minimum of 21 times the IQ points to take you through this very simple process. There is nothing in this paragraph that is so difficult that you can't do it. Nothing. The only way to do it wrong is to not do it at all. Well, you could do it wrong other ways too, but the, the, the worst thing is not to do it at all. So you may have a very lovely sponsor. I would completely ignore the instructions that they're giving you on step 10 because it's not justifiable in the big book at all. Thank you so much. I, I agree with you, but it's all about me and it's not good and fear creeps into it. So I will We have a step for that. that. It's called step 10. Yes, it certainly is. Thank you, Harlan. You're welcome. Thank you, Barbara E. For the question, thanks to everyone. 
for your questions this morning. And, of course, thank you so much, Harlan, for offering so much of yourself this morning with this magnificent presentation. It's helped so many of that, I'm sure. Thank you for all you give to A Vision for You and all of us. We're going to close from page 164. It's from a a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.